This episode of That's What G Said podcast is brought to you by CindyCarava.com, full-service realtor. Cindy Carava, visit CindyCarava.com for all of your real estate needs. And SarahCandles.com, if you're looking for a great candle, check out SarahCandles.com, over 25 different scents. Use the promo code G-I-N-O, it'll get you 10% off your purchase. On this episode, we're going to dive into the NCAA title game. LSU with the victory. Are they one of the greatest college football teams of all time? We're going to hit the NFL divisional round recaps. We'll recap those four games. Interview with Jason Beam. It is Beamy Awards week on Friday, so we're going to talk to the man who created the Beamy Awards, and then we will discuss some Sam Houston for Wednesday, January the 15th. I have an early pick four and a late pick four, some plays throughout the cards, and then we'll read through your Facebook and your Twitter posts going over your best plays over the next few days. Kick back and enjoy this episode of That's What G Said. January 14th, 2020, you are listening to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. It's Tuesday as I'm recording this. I'm out in Dallas, Texas. Made the trip with Stephanie and with Milo to visit family. So Milo had to come visit Grandpa for the first time. Uncle gets to visit uh, some Stephanie's side of the family and some of her friends over the next few days. I was a little nervous traveling with an infant, but I, I asked her some help on social media posted, you know, if you, anybody have any tips. And everybody was kind of saying, you know what, up until about a year, it's a lot easier than when you have a, an infant that's like a year to four years old, because then they kind of know what's going on a little bit more. Uh, Milo pretty well behaved. I'm no, I, I just want to keep knocking on wood. I like, I hate saying it out loud because every time I do, I just don't want to like jinx it. But he, he loves the car seat and he likes the stroller a lot. So what's nice is that we have one of those car seats that you put from the car seat and then you put you hook it right into the stroller and you take it out of the car. And so we can take him a lot of places. Like we can go out to dinner and he'll just sit there in the stroller, usually fall asleep. Um, we can go on walks all over the place when we drive, you know, to my parents' house, which is about half an hour, 45 minutes away, back and forth. He's usually really good. So I wasn't I wasn't too worried about him, but, you know, an airport, all these new sites, everything for the first time, you just don't know. But he was awesome. I mean, he was great. He didn't get fussy really the entire time. We had an amazing stewardess who she saw us uh, come in and sit down in the back. And so what she ended up doing was she pretended like she was sitting down in the back next to us. And she's kind of like, I'll take care of you guys. So that way... We didn't have an extra person sitting in our row, so we were able to kind of stretch out a little bit, put some stuff on the other seat, which made it really nice. We didn't want to... The only thing that happens in a situation like this is you don't want to upset somebody else. You don't want to have a baby that's crying on the plane or that's being messy, and then you can tell that people are annoyed with you, Um, but we didn't didn't have to run into that issue. So it was a 
a real quick, pain-free flight. It was nice, too. Dallas is only what, two and a half hours from L.A., and we didn't have to do, it was just a, a, a straight-through flight. We didn't have to do any layovers or stop at, uh, make any stops. So, all worked out well, and we'll be here in Dallas for the next week visiting some family. Some information just came out about the Houston Astros and the cheating and their manager and their general manager were suspended from baseball for a year. And then immediately afterwards, the Astros fired both of them. And they basically just they admitted that they did cheat in throughout 2017 into 2018, throughout the 2017 World Series where they beat the Dodgers. And so I'm obviously really frustrated as a Dodger fan. I'm not going to go too deep into this only because they're still investigating the Red Sox. So I want to wait a little bit to find out what happens with the Red Sox, and then we can kind of discuss everything, what the penalties were for the Astros, what the penalties were for the Red Sox, um, who got it worse, back and forth. No players get suspended. It, it was kind of hard because players have moved on to other teams. They don't really know exactly which players were heavy in orchestrating this, but I think what, what they MLB did was they basically used the players, and they said, hey, you know what, we're not going to suspend any of you, but we need to find out what happened here. So they, they basically made a deal with the players, hey, we won't, we won't suspend any of you, but you have to let us know what really happened. I'm frustrated, obviously. Um, I don't want to have a Dodger uh, World Series parade, but I don't think that the Astros should be considered your World Series champions. I think the two, and if the same thing happens with the Red Sox, I think those two years, there just should be no champ. Um, if you, I don't, I don't even, I wouldn't feel good about, oh yeah, the Dodgers are the World Series champs now. Like you have to win those games, right? But I, the, the Astros are, are not deserving of, uh, of being the World Series winners in 2017. LSU, 42, Clemson, 25. LSU, after their national championship win, is now 15-0. and And this is one of the greatest college football teams we've ever seen. They have the Heisman Trophy winner, who will likely be your number one overall pick in the NFL. They beat a Clemson team that won twenty that that has won twenty five games in a row the last couple of years. You know, twenty Trevor Lawrence has never lost a game as a starter. Their quarterback, he was twenty five and zero. This was just a good football game between two good teams, and we saw the LSU defense step up a little bit because LSU got punched in the mouth early. They were not used to being down early, and they you could tell they weren't really moving the ball well. Clemson was doing a good job of pinning them back and, and forcing tough field position for LSU, and LSU was down 17-7. to But within five minutes of game time, all of a sudden LSU is up 21-17, to and then it's 28-17 before the half. Trevor Lawrence had his worst game of the year. He had his worst passer rating. He was... 18 for 37, 234 yards. He just he just wasn't quite himself. He played against a tough LSU defense that really just stepped up. And when we thought about LSU all throughout the year, we didn't think of them as a defensive juggernaut. We thought this was a team that could go up and down and score, but that you might be able to, to beat them because they may be a little weak defensively. That just was not the case. Joe Burrow, five touchdown passes, the most in a college football or BCS title game. He also had a rushing touchdown. This is the fourth national championship for LSU. Burrow was the first major college quarterback to throw for 60 touchdown passes in a season. LSU 
put up 269 yards of offense in the second quarter and 628 total yards with six touchdowns. And in the last three games of the year, they beat Georgia, Oklahoma, and Clemson and a combined 142-63 to against three really tough opponents. LSU even had 11 penalties for 118 yards. There was actually a late penalty in the game that might have given Clemson like a late chance to get back into the game. Clemson should have scored a touchdown, and they called an offensive pass interference with like 11.09 left in the game. They were down 42-25, and it was just a really bad call. It cost Clemson a touchdown. Honestly, what happened in this game, it was the second and the third quarter and then the start of the fourth, and LSU was just better. Clemson just had no answer for them. And when you watched college football all throughout the season, it really felt like LSU was the best team this year. And congratulations to Coach O. As a bitter USC Trojan fan, Coach O wanted to be the head coach of USC. If you've seen that interview out there, he's crying in in tears. He says it was one of the most difficult days of his life when he found out he wasn't going to be the head coach of USC um, after the interim title. And since then, USC's head coaches, Steve Sarkeesian, Lane Kiffin, and, uh, and Clay Helton. So they've done a great job. I mean, I love Coach O. He's awesome. He deserves this. He's earned it. And congratulations to the LSU fans and the LSU athletic department because they they found their guy and they built around him. It wasn't like Coach O came in and won right off the bat. He needed to get his his recruits in and he was able to build a coaching staff around with some excellent, excellent coaches. Like This basically is like an NFL coaching staff. And they're going to go down as one of the better college football teams that we've ever seen. They deserve to be. LSU, your national champion. Before we get into the NFL, let's talk a little bit about Sarah Candle Company. SarahCandles.com. Their goal, to create a candle 100% natural, clean burning, and of the highest quality that everyone can enjoy. Here's why Sarah Candles are the best. All natural soy wax, free from the toxins found in paraffin wax, which is used by other leading brands. All natural soy wax will actually hold your scent better and will burn up to 50% longer than the traditional paraffin wax candle. 100% lead-free cotton wicks and completely natural scents. They're made in micro batches and they're hand-poured to ensure the highest quality. 100% locally sourced and handcrafted in the USA. This is a small business. If you like supporting small businesses, uh, give Sarah Candle Company a look. They do everything uh, right out of Temple City. I, I know Tyler Herringer well. You heard him on my show last week. We interviewed him. We talked all about how he created this company. 25 different scents available, three different sizes, fragrance oils that are infused with natural essential oils, the best ingredients, quality packaging, affordable prices, longer burning, none of those toxins or carcinogens or pollutants that are present in the paraffin wax. Created by people that love candles, started out experimenting, trying to create that perfect candle, and now they've blossomed into Sarah Candle Company. And through their research, they were able to discover the benefit of the all-natural soy wax. They have instructions and details on how to keep your candle clean and ensure the perfect burn. Make sure to read those because you want to keep it safe when you have a flame around. And we can get you a little bonus. Right now, if you use the promo code GINO, you get 10% off your purchase. Right now, great gift. Valentine's Day is coming up. Maybe you have a birthday for someone. Maybe you're late on some Christmas gifts for folks. Or you just want to be nice and, uh, and, and get a little present for a friend or a family member. Sarah Candles. C-E-R-A, candles.com. Use the promo code G-I-N-O. Four games this past weekend, divisional round, and divisional round wasn't nearly as good as the wildcard round. And in game one, 
th- th- what was frustrating is we just had a couple teams that really no-showed, like the Vikings. Um, Vikings San Francisco, for, uh, 49ers 27, Vikings 10. On the Vikings' second possession, they scored a touchdown, and they had a drive where six of the eight plays were passes, 73 yards, and a touchdown. It was 7-7 then. The 49ers were 2-for-2 two two to start in the red zone, and they ranked towards the middle, like the bottom of the middle as far as red zone scoring in the regular season. So to put two in right off the bat, that's already a positive sign. At halftime, Dalvin Cook had 10 touches for 19 yards, but it was only 14-10 to 10 at the half. It felt like the, the, the 49ers were just beating the crap out of the Giants or out of the, out of the, the Vikings, but... The game was close, and really the 49ers weren't playing that well. It was just more of really head-scratching uh, scheme for Minnesota, who just kept running right up the middle, right up the gut, right up the gut, right up the gut in the first half. 17 plays that were not sacks. 11 of them involved the running back, 7 running back runs at 1.8 yards per carry, and 4 running back targets at 2.0 yards per attempt. The 49ers have the second best pass defense against running backs. You have to know that. You have to try to get a little bit more creative. The 49ers are also a team that is vulnerable to runs that attack the left end. Yet the Vikings go right up the middle. They only had seven total first downs compared to the 21 for San Francisco. The first drive of the second half, it's 17-10. And the Vikings make zero adjustments. First down, run, get nothing. Second down, run, get nothing. And then it's third down and long, and it's an obvious passing down, and then there's an interception. Now all of a sudden, you're down 24 to 10, and you've you've only had 84 total yards compared to 249 at this point for San Francisco. The rushing yards at this point was 132 to San Francisco to 15 for the Vikings, and San Francisco had 20 first downs compared to the Vikings' four at this point. Look at the Vikings' drive up to this point. Three plays, two yards, and a punt. Seven plays, 79 yards, and a touchdown. Three plays, negative two yards, and a punt. Three plays, four yards, punt. Six plays, eight yards, field goal. That was when they got a turnover. Still couldn't punch it in. Three plays, one yard, interception. They lose their starting right tackle, the Vikings, early in the game, and then they just... They couldn't... They couldn't protect Cousins, and they just couldn't get anything going. Jimmy, what makes me nervous about the 49ers is that they, you know, they're they're good, but if they played a team in this game who had played a little bit better, this would have been a much closer game. Jimmy G interception at the end of the half gives the Vikings a field goal, and they just couldn't take advantage. And then after that, here's the difference in why San Francisco has been a good team all year, and this is the difference between like a really good team or just an okay team. They make adjustments. The coaching staff made adjustments. So Jimmy G was not playing great, right? I don't think he was playing miserable, but he made a bad uh, he made a bad throw that could have ended up costing them the game if, if, if this was a tighter game. So what did the San Francisco 49ers coaching staff do? Okay, let's make some adjustments. What's working for us? We're running the ball right at them. They run 16 times compared to three passes the rest of the game after that Jimmy uh, G interception. Just huge adjustments. They take out the cornerback that Diggs beat early on for the long touchdown. So now they make an adjustment to how they're running the offense. They make a defensive adjustment. Boom. That's what a good coach and a good coaching staff does. And that's what the 49ers did. And and I was... It, it almost felt... You know, when I was watching this game, 
like it was a you know in an NBA a lot of times we see teams that have back to backs or they have like a back to back on the road against a couple tough teams and if you win that first night a lot of times it'll be like oh we we thought we might lose both of these games okay the second night of the back to back we're going to sit one or two of our players we're just we're going to mail it in we're basically happy to come home with a split on the road trip that's like what that's what it felt like with the vikings there was no sense of urgency even when they were were down they didn't change things up a little bit it was just a conservative game and if you're the underdog and you have to go on the road and play a really good team you have to expect that you got to get a little creative you have to get outside the box a little bit you can't just be really predictable and think you're going to be able to beat a team like the 49ers just running right up the gut at them. The 49ers got a couple players back that were huge. Quan Alexander, D. Ford, who had three pressures on 17 pass rushes. They were healthier for the first time in a while. You know, we saw that 49ers D struggled down the stretch when they played good teams, but they weren't healthy. And they've been one of the best teams all year long. You just wonder why they don't take Vikings didn't try to at least take more deep shots. Midway through the fourth quarter, Cousins was 6-for-6 for 18 yards on play action. They just couldn't run the ball well enough to really establish the play action. So then at that point, you have to just start passing the ball. Because that's where you can... Like, the 49ers aren't that... Like, they have a great defense, but they can be had against the pass. Better than trying to run it right right up the gut at them. Unfortunately, Sheryls, who was returning kicks for Minnesota, bobbled multiple kicks. One of them he he dropped and ends up giving the, the 49ers a field goal. After scoring on that 41-yard touchdown pass to Diggs, the Vikings attempted one more deep pass all throughout the game. We've seen the 49ers play well. They can play much better than this. Like, as a Vikings fan, I would be upset thinking... You know what? We didn't even run into a 49ers team that was firing on all cylinders. They can play much better than they did. Just zero sense of urgency when they were down, you know, 24-10. And it it kind of felt the same with the Ravens game we're going to talk about in a minute. Uh, Both the 49ers and the Vikings had two turnovers, but the 49ers dominated the time of possession. 38 minutes and 27 seconds to 21 minutes and 33 seconds for the Vikes. And look at the rushing attempts. The 49ers had 47 rushing attempts compared to the 10 for the Vikings. And you say, Gino, I thought you said the Vikings were being predictable and running it right up the gut. Well, they were. They were very predictable. Unfortunately, they didn't even have a lot of plays, period, because they couldn't move the ball. They only got seven first downs. The drive after the interception, where Cousins intercept, uh, gets intercepted, 49ers ran the ball Eight straight times and scored a touchdown. And basically, they put them away there. They got up by 14. It's funny. When they were down by 14, it felt like the game was over. But it, it didn't ever feel like that Chiefs game was over, even when they were down 24 nothing. I mean, I, I thought it was because it's going to be tough to come back from a playoff game like that. But this game just felt, you know, you see a 17-point margin of victory. It just felt like more than that. Because Minnesota was just unable to do anything. And you didn't get the feeling like they were going to try to make an adjustment. San Francisco sacked them six times. Vikings were 2-for-12 on third down. They had 147 total yards and only 3.3 yards per play. Then after the game, Zimmer kind of took a shot at Cousins where he said that they did call some deep shots, but for whatever reason, they uh, they didn't get done. Richard Sherman shutting down half the field like usual. I mean, Dalvin Cook, he had six receptions for eight yards. That's the lowest total ever for someone who's had six receptions in a game. 
Thielen didn't look good in here. He one of the interceptions might have been his fault because he didn't continue his route. He just he looked hurt, banged up, injured. He just did not look good. And it was a short week for the Vikings. You know, they played Sunday against New Orleans last week. Then they have to travel to San Francisco this week and play on Saturday after playing on Sunday last week. That's not easy. But I was just really disappointed in the uh, in the effort. If you would have told me that the 49ers are going to win by 17, I wouldn't have been surprised. But if you would have told me that you were just going to get a really lackluster effort all overall throughout the, Vi- uh, the game from the Vikings, I would have been a little surprised. They played really, really well last week. And their ceiling is... They're a better team than they showed uh, against the 49ers. Now, this has happened throughout the year with the 49ers where teams have kind of come in and played against them, and those teams haven't played well. Now, I will say this. At least part of that is because of the, the 49ers, their game plan, their schemes, how they attack you. I think some of it in a small sample size, right, you can just sometimes get a little bit lucky. I don't even want to say lucky because it's not like the 49ers are sitting there, you know, hoping for... uh for money to drop from the heavens, they're prepared, they do everything that they're supposed to do, and the other teams just don't come with like a, a max effort game. So it's it's been hard for me throughout the season to gauge the 49ers, but they keep doing this to good teams, and we'll see, you know, next week they're going to be playing one of the teams that had a horrendous game against them when they played, and that's the Green Bay Packers. Now, I don't think Green Bay is as bad as they played against the 49ers. I do think the 49ers are a better team overall. They have a better defense. But we'll see if, if there are going to be any adjustments or what changes next week and if the Packers can come and just play a better game. Win or lose, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if the 49ers kick the crap out of them. I just expect Green Bay to show up a little bit more this week than when we saw when they, when they got their butts kicked by San Francisco earlier this year. Big upset in the Titans-Baltimore game. Titans 28, Ravens 12. MVP Lamar Jackson and an all-time regular season team in the Baltimore Ravens who won 12 games in a row. We're not talking about some team that just kind of got hot. This has been a really good football team. They've run the ball well. Lamar was... And and he's not just some running gimmick. He led the league in touchdown passes. And we're talking about a team that's good on special teams. They have a good defense. They have a good line, good lines. They're a very well-built, well-balanced team, good coaching staff, and they just got got beat up. They looked a little bit shell-shocked. They had some drops early. Really, it started on the first drive for Baltimore when they were driving, ball off Andrews' fingertips, ends up in interception. So let's go through some of the team stats. When you look at this box score... It's going to be one of the weirder box scores you'll ever see. First downs, Baltimore had 29, Tennessee had 15. Third downs, Baltimore was 11 for 18, Tennessee was 7 for 13. But fourth down, Baltimore's 0 for 4. That's the whole game. Lamar looked off. He hadn't played in three weeks. They had six wide receiver drops, six pass catcher drops. Baltimore ran 92 total plays to Tennessee's 53. They had 530 total yards to Tennessee's 300. They even had more yards per play, 5.8 yards per play to Tennessee's 5.7. They had more yards per rush, 6.4 yards per rush to Tennessee's 5.9. They were just beat by themselves. The drops, the turnovers, and they couldn't get fourth down when they needed a fourth and short. 
The Ravens, three turnovers, two interceptions. Lamar lost a fumble, and they were 0 for 2 on 4th and 1. They were 8 for 8 on 4th and 1 throughout the year. All of the Tennessee Titans' 28 points came on turnovers, off Ravens' turnovers, or turnovers on downs, so turnovers. Baltimore interception off Andrews' hands. They're up 7-0. They stop Baltimore on 4th and 1. Next play, a 45-yard touchdown pass. All of a sudden, it's 14-0, and and you've got Derrick Henry and his ability to run the ball. It's 14-6 at half. Baltimore still, they weren't down or done early. They had many chances to come back from this game. They get the ball to start the second half. They get stopped on a fourth and one at the 18. And then Tennessee drives and scores a touchdown. All of a sudden, it's 21-16. You had a chance to go in and tie the game or make it a one or two point game. And now all of a sudden, you're down 21-6. And really, then, then the game's over. Tannehill was 8 for 15 passing for a total of 83 yards in the second half. He was 1 for 4 for 9 yards. They only attempted 4 passes, completed 1 in the second half. This is from the Next Gen Stats uh, via Will Brinson. Derrick Henry had 124 yards rushing on plays when Baltimore had 8 or more in the box. Baltimore's doing everything they can to try to stop him, and he just runs right through them. Just look like a man amongst boys. The Ravens had drives that ended at the Titans, 36-31, 4, 18-31, 15, 16, and 12, and they scored 12 total points. They were 0 for 4 on fourth down, they kicked two field goals, and they had two turnovers. It was the first time since week four and the second time all season that the Ravens were trailing after the first quarter. And early in the second half, the Titans were 3 for 3 in the red zone, and the Ravens were 0 for 2 in the red zone and 0 for 2 on fourth down. When you look at the teams who have been high-scoring regular season teams throughout, what's crazy about this, the top 13 scoring teams in the Super Bowl era in points per game, none of them won the Super Bowl. The Ravens were number 12 with 33.2 points per game. The Titans only had a 45-yard drive and an 81-yard drive, and then all of their other drives were 35 yards or less. They weren't moving the ball at all. They just capitalized. They played good defense. Well, let me... Let's strike that. They were running the ball fine, but they they weren't really even trying to go up and down. They were just playing good defense and letting Baltimore got to shoot themselves in the foot. Lamar is the first quarterback ever to have 300 yards passing and 100 plus yards rushing in a playoff game. And they lost. And they didn't even lose. It wasn't close. The Titans are just the fourth team to win multiple playoff games in the same postseason with 100 or fewer yards passing. The other three teams all won the Super Bowl. Miami in 1972 1973, Pittsburgh in 1974. The Titans were following the script of what the Bills did to try to slow down Lamar, but they said, you know what, Buffalo did, did really well, but they just couldn't score enough to beat them. A.J. Brown, stud wide receiver, he's only had two receptions for 13 yards total in two games. And so now we're going to hear all the, how good is Lamar? Is Lamar overrated? Can he be the type of quarterback to win games? Keep in mind, right? I don't. This isn't to me like a running passing thing. This is just a young player. This is a stat from Chris Long. 
took Bree, Drew Brees six years to get his first playoff win. It took Peyton Manning six years to get his first playoff win. He was 0 for 3 in his first three playoff games. Jim Kelly didn't win a playoff game till his sixth year. Aaron Rodgers didn't win a playoff game till his sixth year. John Elway was 0 for 2, and then he won a game in his a playoff game in his fourth year. McNair didn't win a playoff game till his fifth year. Randall Cunningham, eighth year. Matt Ryan was 0 for 3 in his first three playoff games. So you don't just win automatically. Right, We all want to get real hard on Lamar and say, oh, running quarterback, it's never going to work. Well, he's a passing quarterback too. He made some great throws. He made some bad throws. He was a little bit off, and he had some wide receiver drops, and he just, you know, the fourth downs. Fourth and one, fourth and one, you get stopped. That's the entire game. Titans 28, Ravens 12. This Kansas City-Houston game in the Sunday morning game was one of the crazier football games I can ever remember. Kansas City was down 24 to nothing early on. Just tons and tons of early drops. It was a third and six to Kelsey. He dropped a third and six to Robinson. He dropped. Those would have both been first downs. Houston gets a touchdown right off the bat to Stills. They get a blocked punt touchdown. They're up 14 nothing with 10 minutes left to go in the first quarter. Both teams punted. KC then muffs a punt. It sets up a first and goal from the six. Two plays later, it is 21-0 Texans with a minute 21 left to go in the first quarter. And then with 10.54 left to go in the second quarter, Houston has the ball. It's fourth and one at the Kansas City 13. They have the opportunity to put their foot on their throat right there and probably put this game away. But at the fourth and one, they end up kicking a field goal. Now they're up 24-0. I think you go for it there. I think you go for it. You try to get up 28-0. You have to assume that this Kansas City team is going to score some points. You probably are still thinking, hey, they're going to get to 25 or 30. We have to get to 30. And obviously getting to 30 wasn't nearly enough for for Houston. But Kansas City, I think, felt very, very good that Houston kicks a field goal there. So it's 24-0. Kansas City then gets a nice kick return. Two plays later, a touchdown. Now it's 24-7 with 9.55 left to go in the quarter, in the, in the second half, in the first half, second quarter. Houston then fake punts from their own 31. If you're not going to go for it on fourth and one, but then you're going to get aggressive with a fake punt call, that is not consistent at all. This is why people get mad at Bill O'Brien and, and don't think he's a very good coach because he's just not, there's no, like, who is he as a coach? What is, what is his identity? What is their team's identity? So you fake the punt, you don't get it, and three plays later, Kansas City scores a touchdown. Now it's 24-14 with 8.05 left in the second quarter. It's taken two minutes, two and a half minutes to get two scores for Kansas City. Then the Texans fumble the kickoff return. Kansas City recovers at the six. Three plays later, touchdown, 24-21 with 6.31 left in the second quarter. Texans punt. Casey gets the ball, goes eight plays, 90 yards. Now they're up 28-24 with 44 seconds left in the half. Team, this is a Warren Sharp stat. Teams trailing by 21 points after the first quarter are 8-135 and in the regular season and 0-6 and in the playoffs. Well, now they're 1-6. Chiefs were 2-0 this year when the opponent takes the lead of 10-plus points in the first quarter. Well, they were down by 24. This was the first time in history where a team led by more than 21 points after the first quarter and trailed at halftime. Final score of this game was 51-31. to Kansas City was 7-8 of 
in the red zone. They outscored Houston 28 to nothing in the second quarter, and they scored 41 consecutive points. This was the first team in NFL history to win a playoff game by 20 after trailing by 20. And then the Green Bay-Seattle game. Doesn't this game just feel like how Green Bay won most of their games this year? 28-23. They played well early. Couple scores. Get up. And then they just kind of, you know, they run the ball. They let you kind of get back into the game. They never really blow a lot of teams out. But what ended up happening here was Aaron Rodgers just needed to make a play or two down the stretch, and that's what happened. I liked the focus of Green Bay and Lafleur on their best players, Adams and Jones. Adams had eight receptions for 160 yards and two touchdowns. You got to get the ball to Jones too. So the Packers are up 21-3 early. Remember, five years ago they were up 16 nothing against uh, the Seahawks at the half, and they lost that game 28-22. And it's been nine years since Aaron Rodgers was in the Super Bowl. With 9.33 left in the game, it's 28-23. Seattle misses a two-point conversion, so they can't cut it to a field goal. With 4.54 left, Seattle gets the ball on their own 22. And they end up having to punt. Green Bay had three drives for touchdowns of 75 yards in the first three quarters. It It was all about Jones and Adams. On third downs... Green Bay was 7 for 8, 125 yards with a touchdown and a sack. Green Bay scored on their first drive, then both teams punted twice. Seattle's second drive, run, 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 punt. I mean, we talk about the Vikings being predictable. The difference between the Vikings and the Seahawks is the Seahawks have a quarterback like Russell Wilson who can really use his legs and who can really beat you um, running the ball. I Cousins can can run a little too, but not like Wilson. And they just never, never let Wilson start running until later in the game. I don't know if it's the game plan. I don't know if it's, why not call a few more runs for him early on in the game when you know you have Marshawn Lynch right now and Homer. Marshawn Lynch, can he's not in shape, and he has not run the ball well at all. He had 12 carries for 26 yards. Homer had three carries for 13 yards. He was way better than Lynch when he was in the game. It just... It's predictable. You know what Seattle's going to do. They're going to try to run the ball. They're going to try to run the ball. And then late, they're going to try to let Wilson make a play or two. But sometimes you have to take the handcuffs off him earlier, and you have to let him try to make those plays earlier in the game. So Seattle's second drive, run, 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 and then punt. Their third drive, they kicked a field goal. Their fourth drive, they missed a field goal. All of a sudden, they're down 21-3. And then in the second half, by necessity, because you're down by... You know, you're down three scores. Wilson runs for 22 yards, a five-yard run, an 11-yard scramble, a one-yard scramble, a nine-yard run. Scored touchdowns on their first three drives, Seattle did. But the stubborn running the ball, you know. Wilson, when he ran, had seven carries for 64 yards. How about Tyler Lockett, who had nine receptions for 136 yards and a touchdown? Why not look for him more and try to feed him when he's been open all game? And then Pete Carroll, again, who who was an excellent coach for USC, but every year, when it, he's a great leader, he's a great, very enthusiastic, he can motivate you, 
But as far as the X's and O's and the in-game decisions are, he's just not very good. It's 4th and 11 with 2.41 left in the game. Seattle has the ball on their own 36. They're down by 5, and they punt. You have to go for it there. You don't know if you're going to get the ball back 241 with 2.41 left in the game. And let's say you go for the 4th and 11, and you don't get it. All you have to do is force a field goal, and you're still down by 8. You're still down by one score. It's still a one-possession game. Instead, you kick the ball and you never get it back. You punt. And Green Bay has to make two plays. It's third down. They pick up a third and eight with a 22-yard pass to Adams. And then it was a third and nine with a nine-yard pass to Jimmy Graham, which, let's be honest, that was a terrible spot. It did not look like it was a first down. And I think Green Bay should have probably had to punt the ball back to, to Seattle. So... Maybe it works, but you can't you can't be at the mercy. You, you can trust your defense, but you don't want to be at the mercy of the other team. You want to give yourself an opportunity to win the game, and I think you have to go for it there, even though it's 4th and 11 and you're on your own 36, just because it's... All you got to do is stop. You get a stop, kick, you force a field goal, and you're going to get the ball back. Green Bay 28, Seattle 23. We will break down the conference championship games later this week, and we will tell you which sides we lean, and we'll do a a deep dive on 49ers Packers and on Chiefs Titans, the final four. Before we get into the interview with Jason Beam, I want to let you know about Thrive Fantasy, new daily fantasy app for prop bets. They are giving you just kind of a a different spin on... DFS. Instead of the salary cap, you're building your lineup around a list of prop bets. So for each contest, you have to choose 10 of the 20 prop bets plus two in case of emergency picks that protect you from any late scratches or postponed games. If you use the promo code GINO and you deposit 10, you're going to get 10 right back. So use the promo code GINO, make a deposit of 10 bucks, and then you'll get a $10 bonus credit right back in your account. And then you'll have 20 bucks to mess around, check out some of the contests, see if you like them. You'll see me in there. I'm playing all the time uh, under the name That's What G Said. I've won a few contests, and so I always like to check it, how new sites are. When you win money, can you withdraw it? Sure, you can put it right into your PayPal or right into your account. It was very simple. It was very easy. Thrive Fantasy. Go download the app. Use the promo code GINO. You'll get a little $10 bonus credit when you deposit 10 bucks. Up next, it is Jason Beam. Good buddy, Jason Beam. We're going to talk all about the Beamies, which are on Friday, January the 17th. And so for all the good information, all the specifics, listen in as we talk about the Beamies and we talk about the last few years for Jason as he's had an incredible 2019 calling races all over the place. Jason Beam on That's What G Said. Okay, so when it's uh, the holiday time of the, the year, it's usually Christmas and then New Year's and, and all sorts of different celebrations going on. And that means the Beamy Awards are, are going to be right on that list. Very happy to welcome in my good friend. And I, I, every time I, we talk, I, I, I'm so frustrated that we still haven't actually had an opportunity to meet in person yeah. and sit down and hang out. We've talked so many times uh, throughout the years now. Jason Beam welcoming in on uh, to That's What G Said podcast. How you doing, buddy? 
Gino, good. We were supposed to meet at San Anita one day, and you had something come up. Yeah, I and know. Uh, and so we did. We didn't get to, but yeah, it's uh, it, it is a little weird. Like the internet has made it so like there's people I talk to all the time that I've never met. It's a weird thing. Yeah, it, it's it's become really cool. Probably so. Some of the people I talk to most are people I, I, yeah. I never met or interact with most, or at least yeah. you know go back and forth with the the races stuff or sports stuff here and there. So okay, we had to bring you on because it's it's that time of year. It's time for the beamies. So for those people out there that don't know what the beamies are, we'll take it from the beginning. How long running now have the Beamy Awards been going? And then explain it for the folks out there who have never heard of what the Beamy Awards are kind of from the beginning. How did how did it all start for, with you? The explaining part's hard, you know, because it's yeah. very, it's very, very much an inside joke. It is. Which which is always a little weird. Like I my at, at Christmas this year, uh, somebody asked somehow it came up and I was trying to explain it to like one of my aunts and my grandma and they were looking at me like I was an insane person. They're like, so you give awards <laughs> to strangers? And I, yeah, she goes, but they're, but they're real or they're not real. I go, well, they're real, but they're, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a joke. And what I, what I, the best way I surmise it, I tell people, I go, it's really, it's not an award show. It's a, it's supposed to be a comedy show yes. and it's supposed to be a night for people to be able to follow along and laugh. And, you know, we have videos and we have, I just kind of feature funny tweets. And the thing I've gotten most, you know, when I when I go to tracks or when I meet people, is, oh, how do I win a beam? And I go, well, it's not really a, a meritocracy kind of thing. Yeah. Like, usually, so it's usually just a dumb tweet that I think is funny, and I can turn into a funny award. So, uh, but yeah, essentially, it's it's just kind of a mock award show. I mean, we have a red carpet and a you know a monologue, and we have an in memoriam video, but none of it is real like the in memoriam is like goofy stuff we lost like hrtv closed one year so that was you know we lost that that year and people that leave twitter for a few days and then come back you know yeah Yeah. exactly yeah exactly uh you know there there, it's a lot of you know goofy kind of stuff like that and it's been really well received the first year i did it was 2014 wow that's crazy Uh, it's been that long now yeah this will this will be this will be the sixth edition uh and i can't i guess i can't say annual because usually it's always been in December and uh, last year I went down to, to Gulfstream West to call races for a few weeks and so it kind of just pushed my schedule back so we didn't technically do one in 2018 but it was like you know a week into 2019 so it is the sixth straight year we've done it and um, yeah the first year we did it was uh, it was the end of 2014 I had taken the announcing job at Louisiana Downs and I was starting there January like 6th or something and so they had announced that I was going there or my hiring or whatever, like a week before the first beamies were going to take place. And I didn't promote it. Cause I didn't know, you know, I just figured two days, you know, two days out, I would be, Hey, I'm going to do a little award show thing on Friday, which is basically what I did. But I almost thought about not doing it because I, I didn't want the people at Louisiana downs to think that they hired a goofball, which they did. But, um, yeah, it just, it, we did it that first year and, and everybody seemed to like it and then did it the second year. And it, it kind of, uh, exploded in terms of just interaction. I mean, it trended nationally, and and it's uh, it's been a fun little thing every year. One of the reasons why I think people are drawn to it and drawn to you, and why things have gone, I think, really well for you in the last few years in particular, um, you're just so honest, which is great. You just don't see so many people out there uh, nowadays that are like really transparent, and you are honest with everything. From you know positive stuff to negative stuff, you're very self-deprecating. You talk about your struggles. You talk about things that have been hard for you. You talk about jobs that you've you know gone up for and missed on. I think, and that really gives people uh, that's a long a chance. list. <laughs> well, no, it's just it's so it's great though, right? Because it's yeah. it's like you give people a chance to relate to you, and and I don't think it like you you become this like 
real social media superstar honestly like you what you do with now with your show is incredible because w- what you're able to pump out with now which used to be uh, on the barn when you were on the Bed America Radio Network and now it's uh, the Jason Beam horse racing podca- uh, podcast for Twin Spires i mean how it, it's incredible how you're able to pump out content every single day and what i love that what you do too is like no, no interview no real subject in horse racing is off limits. Like you talk to anyone from the you know every racetrack, from every position, handicappers. You you talk about races. You talk about the the issues. You talk about funny different stuff. Like what is it? What is it like for you? Like how are you just kind of constantly like monitoring social media? Are you constantly like just coming up with ideas? Because you like that's a, that's a lot, man. I do a couple shows a week, and you're doing a show every single day. Interviews, editing, putting it up, like. On top of now calling the races, like this has got to be a ton of work for you. Well, I don't know about a ton, but I mean, you know, it's it's a job, and uh, I, I I'm fortunate to where I, I found out at some point a few years ago that I seem to be at my best in terms of happiness and contentment and all that when I'm being creative. If I'm writing, or if I'm working on a show, or if I'm you know just doing something where I get to to be creative, I just seem to feel a little bit more of a fulfilled existence. And so to be able to have a job with, with Twin Spires where I get to do that every day is, you know, for me, it's very rewarding. And it's it's so neat to get to, t- I mean, one of the things that happens in racing, especially with jockeys and trainers is that they become names in the form or, or you know, in, in, the, in, your, in your past performances and, and you don't know them, you don't know their story. And so getting to have people on, I mean, the other day we had Frankie Pennington on, who's a name that I've seen a hundred times. If you watch parks, you end up seeing Frankie Pennington's name and uh, you know, and he's, and he's ridden some, some horses that have gone on to New York and some stuff like that. And so it was great to get to sit and talk with him for 15 minutes and, and learn his story. And, you know, his, he wasn't really involved in racing and his stepdad, uh, his mom remarried when he was a teen and his stepdad was a, was a trainer in Cleveland. And so that was how he got introduced to it. It's just, you know, it's crazy to think. I mean, he's had a very successful career thus far. And it's crazy to think that, you know, if if things didn't work out how they did, he might never have got into horse racing. So uh, I love hearing people's stories. I think, I mean, everybody has a story. And that's the, the beauty of, as you said, you know, getting to talk to all the different people in the sport. But there's certainly a, a connectivity that runs with everybody in the sport. And it's love of the sport and love of the betting and you know, and all that kind of stuff. So let's let's kind of go back to the, the the beginning now. When when did you get your first job calling the races? Because you've been a fan of the races, it seems like forever, and you you're just kind of like a sports fan in general. Mm-hmm. And so, what was your first job calling the races, and and then how did it go from there? Yeah, my uh, my dad was a gambler, so I you know he we used to go to Long Acres when I was a kid, so I got to. Uh, that was kind of how I got exposed to horse racing. We weren't, uh, you know, in the sport, so to speak. He was just a, a better, and I would go out on Sundays with him. My mom would give me twenty bucks every Sunday, so I could do. There was ten races, so I could do two bucks a race. And I've told the story before, but I always think it's funny. What would happen is we'd get there. My dad would say, "Here, give me the twenty, and I'll I'll make your bets." You know, each race throughout the day. And so one day, it w- I think it was the it was the Space Needle Handicap, I think, and it was Captain Condo and Grandstand Gabe. My two of my favorite horses ever. Um, and they ran one, two. And I I told my dad I want a $2 exact, a condo with Grandstand Gabe. And it hit for like $44 because Grandstand Gabe is a big long shot. <laughs> so I went to my dad. I'm like, hey, dad, can I have my money? And he looked at me. He's like, I'll get it to you on Wednesday. He was just yeah. taking the 20 and booking my action every day. <laughs> yeah. So, That's so, so, so I, I, I learned that you need to uh, definitely make your bets with a licensed, legitimate uh, source. So, um but yeah, I mean, as far as the race calling, I mean, I, as a kid, I was always a Gary Henson was the Long Acres announcer, and his his dad Harry Henson, of course, was the 
famous guy at Hollywood Park and uh, and actually was the first announcer at Long Acres. Long Acres in seven, just under 70 years, or maybe it was just over 70 years, whatever it was, had only three announcers in the whole history of the track. Harry Henson was there for like 30 years. Uh, Chick O'Neill was there for like 10 years. Then Gary Henson was there for the final 20 years. And so uh, Gary had this great growly voice and you know, here comes Captain Kondo on the outside. And so when I would go home, our neighborhood was a perfect oval. And I would go home and I would ride my bike uh, around the around the neighborhood. And, you know, I'd put my little baseball pants on, my little jockey jacket, my little jockey hat, and I'd get a stick and I'd whip my bike and I would do the calls from that day. And so uh, it was it was, the race call, I think, was implanted to me pretty early. And then uh, as far as jobs, I Vic Stoffer's call of the 05 Hollywood or not uh, the American Oaks uh, Cesario. I think the the videos on YouTube and it's just, yeah, it's a great call and like just the the crescendo of it and the horse's performance. The hair on my arm stood up. I watched it in the the quarter shoot cafe. You know Sally Steiner at oh, yeah. uh, at Emerald Downs and I, I watched it at the quarter shoot and the hair on my arm stood up and I bought binoculars the next day and I thought you know I, I could do this. I've I've been listening to these guys for long enough and so I started going up in the grandstand at Emerald and I would just kind of practice through it. And then uh, in the winter, the, that fall, I started going to uh, to Portland because Emerald season end and Portland would begin. And I would just sit in the grandstand and uh, and, and practice into a little tape recorder. And uh, I sent a tape to Robert Geller, who was the longtime voice of Emerald, is now at Woodbine. And, and he was, like, real supportive. He just kept telling me, he's like, you can do this. He, he goes, you sound like you, you know what you're doing. Just keep practicing. And he was just, you know, Robert's the best. I mean, anybody that's ever met oh, him. Oh, yeah, he's great. So, uh at Portland in it would have been January of 06, I, I would just I would go out every race outside, pouring rain every stupid day, and and practice into my recorder. And the announcer there, Mike O'Brien, told me he said he goes, you know what, I just I, I appreciate you're out here every weekend doing this, and, and I was driving two and a half hours, so he was he took notice of that, and so he told me no warning about 15 minutes to post. He goes, you're doing the next race, and I was like, oh god, and so <laughs> they. Portland used to have a, it wasn't a headset, it was kind of a clip mic that you clipped onto your tie or whatever. And so he he put that on me, got me all set up. And so the the call the post rings, I do the post parade and, and you had to open the window at Portland. So you hear the speakers and you hear the echo. And it's like, when that happened, it was like, oh my God, we're not in Kansas anymore. And so that first race, they went off and it was going okay. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm nervous as can be. And uh, I forgot to breathe. <laughs> They get to the turn and I'm just totally out of wind. And I'm like, on the outside. Yeah. And so finally they turned for home and I took a real deep breath. And, and my buddy, Ben Root, who was a trainer there, his horse won. It was a horse named a colt named Sue. And uh, so I got through it. It was, it, it was okay. It wasn't for a first call. It was, you know, average. But everybody at Portland was like so supportive. And then a couple weeks later, they let me call two more races, like just the end of the day on a Monday or something. And then in like late February, Mike O'Brien, the regular caller there, got sick. And so I got to fill in for a whole day. I totally botched the fifth and sixth races. Like, I mean, I, I the, the, the fifth race, I remember I, my inner monologue, there was like, it was like a three length gap to a horse. And I said, it was a gap of a half length. And out loud, I said half length. Like I mocked myself like, over the air. Like, oh, it was it was so funny now looking back at it. But so I so I, I but I made a tape of the first four races that day because the fifth and the sixth were so bad. And uh, I sent it to I, I I had emailed Vic Stoffer at some point and told him I was practicing. He told me that Great Lakes Downs and River Downs needed somebody for their summer meet because this was you know this is now getting toward the springtime and you know all the spring and summer tracks are starting up. 
so I set my tape and uh, a guy named Greg Boomerai uh, gave me a nice recommendation to River Downs and said that, you know, I've been working hard and he thought I'd be okay. And uh, the guy the guy from River called and the, and they offered me the job, really sight unseen, no interview. I mean, I talked to him for like five minutes and uh, they told me what it paid and I was, I was thrilled and I moved cross country. And so I, I did River Downs. Uh, in 06 and halfway through that season, Portland changed their schedule uh, to run more weekdays. And so Mike O'Brien, the regular guy there, he couldn't uh, do it anymore. And so I actually got the Portland job like three months after I got the river job. So I had two jobs within three months of starting and uh, did that circuit for a few years. And then uh, I left river. I was, I was having some personal troubles with, uh, I have some anxiety issues and depression issues as you, you kind of hinted at. And, uh, and they were kind of really coming to a head and, you know, eight. And so I, I left river to, Downs and moved home and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And then Portland just offered me a year round position and uh, was there year round for, I think seven years or eight years until 20 end of 2014. And then I went to uh, Louisiana for three months <laughs> and, then, uh, and, and kind of had the same issues going on over there and uh, decided to move back home. And uh, started, I was out of racing for about seven or eight months and then uh, started with, uh, with Bet America. And, that, and that's, what's great is that you have kind of, use the platform also as just this uh or use the podcast as this like platform for to get your voice out there to get your opinion out there for people to kind of get an opportunity to like to really meet you to to hear you on a day-to-day basis and that's opened up like all these opportunities now it's like watching you um seeing you know your youtube channel seeing you kind of all over the place traveling across the, the world uh following you on social media has been really really cool just like living vicariously through you i know a lot of people were um were very curious as as you would travel to a, a new track to call some of the races there this year and in the last you know i guess year and a half things have been really really good for you so tell us what the when you got back into it now you've been podcasting for a while where was the first track that you were able to go and start calling the races for again yeah I, uh, my last day at louisiana was about march of 2015 so i didn't uh i didn't call for three and a half years, I think it was. And yeah. so, uh, what ha- I mean, I applied for a bunch of jobs and, and I, uh, looking back, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I didn't get any of them because I was not, uh, healthy enough in, in a, in a number of ways that I would have, that it would have worked out. Uh, I mean, I, I got very agoraphobic. So it's like, I didn't leave the house very much for about a year and a half. Um, and so it was, you know, I, I, I knew I had the ability to race call, but I just, I was not, I was not well. And, uh, and that was just going to kind of prohibit that. But I think, and I think how I, you know, left Louisiana Downs, not with the most notice. I mean, I think they had like three weeks to find someone and they did. And John McGarry, uh, who they hired did, did great. And so it, you know, worked out, but it's still, you know, you don't want to take a job, move cross country, be there for three months and then, and then leave. And so I, I, I was pretty sure for a while that that was, uh, you know, going to hold back people from hiring me and, and it makes perfect sense. I mean, I, I, like I said, I'm glad that it didn't work out. What ended up happening was uh, in 2018, I kind of started pushing myself to start getting back out and living life a little bit. I started losing a little bit of weight and exercising and doing a lot of that. But I also, I mean, I was at the point, you know, where, you know, for, for probably a year and a half or two years, like I was either home or, or going to the grocery store or nothing. And getting the job with Bet America while it was so great, it kind of enabled that because I could work from home. And so I didn't have to leave. And, Mm -hmm. Uh, in a weird way, it kind of almost fed my anxieties of, you know, hey, I can subsist now without doing it, you know, going out and doing stuff. So uh, I, I literally started just in, in 2018, like going to the mall for five minutes, 
going to the mall for 10 minutes. I mean, I'd sit in the parking lot, get my, my, my gumption up and then walk in. And then I had to walk to one side of the mall and back. And then, you know, and, and just trying to, they call it exposure therapy. And, you know, when you're struggling with anxiety and agoraphobia, just basically just fear of public places and crowds and stuff. Uh, the only real way to get by it is to expose yourself to those situations and you kind of get more and more used to them. And, you know, I, I didn't eat out in a restaurant for, for a year or two. I mean, I'd get to go orders like, and, and even just going in for five seconds, like I would just be freaking out and grab the food and then run out the door, you know? And, and, and it's, so it's, it's not, it was not a, a, a good way of life in, in any way. And I was, I was really struggling with it. And, uh, when I started kind of pushing myself to go do more things, started, you know, took a trip to California, went to NHC and, uh, for bed American, like just started going out and doing more. And, uh, in the summer of 18, it, it would have been like August or September, uh, Pete Aiello called me and I was doing the podcast and I saw the call and I was like, oh, I'll call him back. So I called him back when I, when I was finishing the, the show and he goes, uh, he goes, do you want to come down and call races for me? Uh, if when I take my vacation at, at Calder or Gulfstream West. And I was like, are you serious? And he's like, yeah. And he goes, and he told me, he said, he goes, I was trying to think of who would really appreciate the opportunity. He goes, and I felt like you would. And there, there's a little of connection that Pete and I have, because when I, uh, when I left River Downs, um, the day after I left, I called Luke Kreitboss and I said, Hey, uh, just so you know, I, I'm moving back home. I said, I'm struggling too bad. And I just, uh, you know, it's not, uh, it's not going to work anymore. And, uh, Luke knew Pete was trying to become an announcer. Pete had just taken a job, I think at Prairie Meadows. And so it was, it was crazy. Cause I called Luke from Des Moines. We had just stopped there. It was our first stop on the way back home. And, uh, Luke called Pete and he said, Hey, uh, you need to call these guys. You know, if you want to get into race call, and he goes, this is a great job. It's a hundred days a year. It's, you know, good track, good area, da, 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 da. And, uh, and Pete, I, if I remember right, Pete had just taken that job. And so Pete goes, Oh, I don't want to leave these guys high and dry. I just took this job. And it's, you know, he was, just, I think he was like an assistant racing secretary or something like he had, you know, gotten a good racing job, but he wanted to be an announcer. And Luke, Luke just called it. Luke told him, no, if you want to be an announcer, you go take yeah, this job. Take <laughs> so apparently Pete went to his boss and it's Pete's story to tell, but he went to his boss and he said, look, I had this. And his boss was like, dude, this is what you want to do. Go do it. I'll be fine. And, uh, and Pete got the job at river. And now of course, Pete's a, a star, but, um, I, I, I always thought maybe Pete was, uh, you know, giving me a little uh, payback because I always joked with him. I said, believe me, my life falling apart and helped start his career. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so Pete called and asked if I wanted to do that, and uh, I was very nervous, but I got down there. The the situation at Gulfstream West, for those who don't know, the, the grandstand's not there anymore, so they kind of have a little mock uh, grandstand. It's kind of some uh, uh, shipping containers, like, stacked on top of each other. So you're only about 15 or 20 feet in the air, and, it, and it's a real tough angle. But as you're looking into the track, it still looks like Calder. I mean, it is, it's, you know, it's the same as it was before. There's just literally no grandstand anymore. But, uh I remember the first race, I was pretty nervous, and you could hear my voice, uh, you know, that I was just, you know, scared, and uh, and settled down, and, and it went, the whole experience was amazing, and it was, like, so liberating, too, because the day after that first day, I, I, I called my mom, and I cried my eyes out, because I was just so happy that I got to do it again, and my whole thought for that, that fill-in job was, this is a great chance for me to just put the actual ending on my announcing career that I wanted to. Uh, cause I didn't think I was still going to go back and do it. And I didn't know that anybody would hire me. And then, you know, a month or two later, 
uh, Miramati called me and he said, Hey, uh, Monmouth wants me to get a couple of names of guys to, to fill in. He goes, and I thought you might be a good person to, to apply for that. And I had applied for Monmouth when Travis got it and had finished in the final grouping with Frank and Travis. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, so I had talked to those guys before. And so I, I sent them my tape and, uh, and my interview and, and they called me. We did an interview the day after the Super Bowl last year, and uh, and they invited me to do the fill in for Frank because he with Santa Anita now he had was going to have an overlap of like two months on the front and two months on the back, and and like a week after I got that after they told me I got it, uh, Colonial called because Joe Byrne was needing an announcer for that meet, and it schedule wise just fit in so perfect because it was like, you know, I had five weeks after Monmouth ended to just hang out and do vacation then went to colonial then had two weeks off and then back to monmouth and then down to calder again and so the way everything worked out last year was just really really awesome and it was so much fun to get to you know call races and just see the country and i don't just get i felt like i took my life back a little bit so it was very rewarding and i mean it's just continuing to go good for you because now we've seen with like colonial that meet was really successful and it looks like um they're going to be extending even a little bit more next year they added a week yeah, which is which is just awesome, and yeah. um, it's cool because I, you know, I'm even just listening to your show now for the last few years. It's amazing. It's been that long when you said it. I was like, wow. <laughs> um, and uh, you know what? Just, In fact, I, I don't, what, what, when, what day is the show going to air? Do you know? Do you know? Um, Monday, like okay. Monday. Yeah. Tuesday will be my four year anniversary of doing the podcast. Wow. Yeah. There you go. Wow, that is awesome. Yeah, and uh, it you, you hear. When you follow along with someone who's so open to it, this is what, you know, following, you know, my whole life, I was always following along, like with like Jim Rome or like different people in the LA radio market. And you, you see them like as their life, you know, it, it progresses, if they grow up, as they, you know, as things change for them. And that's what's really cool about having a podcast because it's so personal yeah. and you get to hear like all of your journeys, ups and downs. And now it's like things are going so well. It's, it's, you know, it's always easier to look back and, and laugh at the hard times when things are going well and things are going really well for you right now, you know, and, and it does make it a little bit easier to know that, hey, you, you know, you, you just keep working hard and, and you know, things are going to happen. And you that's what they, like you've always just worked hard. You you've waited for your opportunity. You're, and one thing I really appreciate about you, too, is like you don't you're very positive. You're you're someone who is able who can like. You you're funny, and even this whole thing with the Beamy Awards too, right? It's like there's people that were that you poke fun at, and that's the whole thing about it is kind of like a satire and like yeah. satiring award shows. But like it's you're not, not malicious. negative, yeah, yeah. You're never negative, and I think that's why like you get such a great response, and that's why I think people have really been been drawn to you again. So uh, before we let you go, obviously, give us all the information again for this year's Beamies. Give us all the plugs and like what what are you expecting for uh, for this year again? Yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be Friday the seventeenth, and uh, all you really have to do is follow along on my Twitter account. It's at Beamy Awards, and uh, and then on my website, which is JasonBeam.com, and because we kind of post the awards on the website, and uh, but I it's all done through Twitter. So if you just follow the Twitter, uh, what I always recommend for people to do, Penelope Miller thought of this, and I thought it was kind of genius. Is uh, she she instead. If you don't have TweetDeck, she would just put up uh, three tabs and put one on my account, one with the hashtag Beamy Awards, and then one with her timeline. Because the the real fun of it is everybody Reacting. playing off the jokes and everybody, you know, I mean, everybody's, you know, everybody fakes acting like they're dressing up. And, you know, it's, 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 it's much more. Videos. Yeah, it's, it's, it's much, and... much more than just 
what's going on on my account. So that's that's a lot of the fun. And the nice folks at uh, Little Red Feather Racing are, are our title sponsors once again, which is kind of cool. It's it's nice because I, I have a little team that helps me with writing and uh, with some of the graphic stuff. And so it's nice to be able to to pay them for uh, for their efforts and and and, and all that. And so uh, and also Sim Horse Racing. Is uh, is a part sponsor as well. So, um, but yeah, Friday night it'll be uh, it'll be good, good fun. It's appointment uh, viewing <laughs> every single year. People have a blast of it. I know that that people have over the last couple of years set up parties. They have gatherings. People get together oh, and kick nuts, back, Jeff. and they it's have really you nuts. know everyone puts their pictures of what they're doing. They're sitting back. This will be uh, Milo's first BME Awards, and we will be taking it in from uh, from Dallas, Texas. So we'll be following along. We'll be on a different, like a different time. So it'll be a little yeah. later than normal for me when I, while I'm. Uh, well, the time I'm, zone every time is like the biggest controversy. Yeah. The people, the people back east get annoyed because if you know it goes till eleven o'clock or whatever, and they want to go to bed, and the people out west miss the red carpet because they're just getting off of work. So it's it's kind of a hard thing to. To, to figure out, I feel, I feel like the NFL's pain when they try to schedule these games because somebody's always going to be pissed off. And then uh, give us your plugs for the for the podcast one more time. Yeah, it's just the Jason Beam Horse Racing Podcast brought to you by Twin Spires. If you just search my name on Apple or Stitcher or Spreaker, any of those, any same, all the same places, they probably find you, Gino. And, and we're going to get that uh, YouTube uh, channel up this year also too. You just uh, just search Jason Beam on YouTube. Yeah, that's uh, the YouTube. I, I appreciate you saying that. I'm trying to work on my YouTube channel because I, lo- I love to do like little videos of my travels and stuff. And so, like, the podcast won't ever be on there, but it's you know, I go visit all these racetracks and see all these places. It's kind of fun for me just to document it, but uh, it's also fun when people uh, get to enjoy the videos. So, yeah, if it's uh, if you just search my name on YouTube, you can find it and smash that subscribe button. Awesome, Jason. Thank you so much, buddy. Uh, every oh, time you know. every time we talk, I feel like it's not enough, long enough and it's not often enough. So I, I always appreciate talking to you and uh, I look forward to next time having you on or if you ever uh, if you ever need anyone last minute, you you, uh, you give me a call. I appreciate it, Gino. Thanks so much. Okay, buddy. You uh, you have a nice one. That was our good friend Jason Beam and we'll uh, we'll all be paying attention to Beamy Awards Friday, January the 17th. Uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here on that's what G said. Big thank you to Jason Beam for talking some Beamy Awards with us. Make sure to, Friday night, put the notifications on for Beamy Awards and pull up another tab, as he mentioned. The best way to do it, you follow his Twitter, you follow the hashtag, and you can see what everybody else is tweeting. So, big thanks to Jason. It's always a fun night come uh, Beamy Awards evening, which is this week on Friday. One of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast is Cindy Carava, full-service realtor, and I am here over in Glendora at Coldwell Banker with Cindy Carava. Cindy, how was 2019 for you? Tell us uh, a little bit about what uh, what kind of stuff you were working on. Hi, Gino. Thanks for having me. Uh, 2019 was just really great. Uh, I had a great year uh, selling homes all the way from Altadena, Arcadia, Monrovia, out to Upland and Ontario just recently. Um, the market has, has been uh, really good. Um, we're looking forward to 2020 with an increase in home prices about 5.8% this year, opposed to last year where it was a little softer. We saw uh, more like homes averaging about 3.5% in increase in value. Um, it's also looking great for buyers. Uh, the interest rates right now are going to be staying under 4%. So if you've been on the fence about thinking about buying a home, now is the time to do so with interest rates still staying low. 
and you offer more services than just the buying, selling, and leasing homes. Tell us about some of the other services that you offer and what a full-service realtor really is. So you're right, Gino. Besides me being uh, a full-service realtor of uh, finding properties for my clients to buy or selling their homes or finding rentals for them, um, I also have a plethora of resources like uh, handyman, contractors, electricians, plumbers. Uh, I even, if like I said, if you're thinking about getting a home loan, I actually work with two great lenders that I can recommend to anybody. And you're all over the internet, social media, websites. Let us know some of the places where we can find you. I know I've seen some reviews on Yelp and on Zillow. They, everyone always has positive things to say. Everybody hears me raving about you all the time. But where can uh, everyone else find out information about you or contact? Thank you, Gino. Yeah, I am on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, and uh, you can contact me on my website, which is www.cindycarava.com or my email, which is cindyc.realtor at gmail.com, or feel free to call or text me on my cell phone, which is 626-394-6400. Cindy is awesome. She's one of the kindest and most genuine people I've ever met. I promise you, you will enjoy every minute you interact with her. So thank you very much, Cindy. Uh, Appreciate all of your support from That's What She Said podcast. Thank you, Gino. Have a great day, everyone. Okay, get your past performances out for Sam Houston, January the 15th. We're going to talk about the uh, the Sam Houston card, starting with the race number one, 25,000 claimers, non-four lifetime, six furlongs, the distance. Let's go to, to Maria Chuchina, who's coming out of a couple kind of poor races, but I, I think they're races that you can build excuses for, like last out, but just in a little bit too tough. Broke well, but got hooked four deep and in between, and it was on an off racetrack. Uh, two starts back and in, in that last group, too. The winner is three of his last has won three of the last four and there were two other next out winners in that race create a star one and on two allowance next out and caliente candy won an allowance next out the september 20th race was just the first start in a few months for maria and the key really is here you're getting some class relief and the trip it looks like there's a lot of other speed in here and I think she's going to be able to work out a really nice trip from just off the pace this is a horse who's just better on the dirt Back to Sam Houston, back to the dirt, back to a distance that she likes where she tur- turns back a little bit so she'll have a little more a little more bottom. And if you look at those races earlier in, um, about a year ago, 20, I keep saying earlier in 2019, it's not 2019 anymore. In early 2019, like Febu- in the, the February race, he had Sam Houston, the March race, and the April race at Lone. Like Those are good races. Those are the kind of races I'm expecting um, in this spot because you can just work out a really nice trip. So let's go with the three. Maria Chuchena will make a win wager on this one if we can get anything around five to one. The second race starts to pick four. What I love about Sam Houston is the low takeout in the rolling exotics. 12% takeout in your pick four, in your pick threes, pick fours, and pick fives. So let's play a pick four in Sam Houston's second race. I think the one impressive reward who got the lead early from the inside but was content with taking back um, was the third, tucked inside, was an okay third that day. I think she's a major player. The two and the three are horses who I have as kind of B horses. I'll play on one ticket, but I don't really love them on the top spot. They're Asmussen first-time starters. I don't think either one of them has like a monster pedigree. And the barn is 0 for their 24, is 0 for their last 24 with first-time starters going a mile. 
They're 15 for their last 125, so they're capable at 12%, but this isn't, like, a strength for this barn. And I feel like both these two might be just kind of using this to get a race under their belt, because maybe they're not that quick. Um, and I just, I, I don't like the firsters going long for a barn who's not good at that. And I, they're going to get a ton of support in here. So let's go to the four. Super legs. The, I think the last effort you can, the last race on December the 21st, you can put a line right through that because that was in the slop at fairgrounds. Career debut at Churchill. Really fine third against Maiden 50s in the mix. The, she showed good positional speed that day. She broke well, but then four others went for the lead. So she got stuck in between horses. She got shuffled. She ended up moving to the inside and was again in between horses, then got caught in the slop last time out. She has more speed than she's flashed in her last couple. I like the number four in here. Super legs. We'll make a win wager if we can get around five to one. I'll use the one impressive reward in the pick fours. And so those will be my two top horses. So one and four we'll use in the pick four and on both tickets. I'm going to play two different pick four tickets. And then our other approach will be one, two, three, four, and eight. I do think the eight African Mo is a little interesting. There's a... He, she's going to have to show some improvement. She hasn't really improved in her three starts, but she just a repeat of what she's done will actually put her right in, in contention. She just has to slightly improve to win, and, and sure, maybe she can. The, she'll need a little speed in here to set up her rally. African Mo. So 4-1-2-3-8 in the pick four on one ticket, 4-1 on another ticket, and then we'll play a few bucks to win on the four. That's race two at Sam Houston. I felt like race number three was pretty straightforward in the pick four sequence. I really like the seven, Zim's Lemon Drop. Zim's Lemon Drop uh, broke on top last time out. She's a five-year-old mare. She couldn't clear off or cross over, and then she ends up battling with a couple others. Even after she's passed, she kept she keeps trying in between horses. It really wasn't a great ride. It was kind of indecisive and in between. I would I'd rather run dead last with the horse who you sent hard to the lead. You have to pick. I, to me, one of the most frustrating things is when I'm watching a, a jock. I'm not I'm not a, a jockey. I haven't been on horses, but I do know that you have to be decisive if you're going to go or you're going to sit. And too many times you can tell a jockey gets caught in between where they don't re- they didn't really make up their mind. They didn't get aggressive, they didn't want to go to the lead, they don't really want to sit, they didn't they don't take back enough until you end up kind of chasing and pressing and that's not a very beneficial trip. The number seven Zim's Lemon Drop is the the play in here. We'll make a win wager if we can get seven to two. I do think the nine is the one to beat. And that's Iced Out, who comes out of a really strong race, was behind Sura, who won uh, not, uh, next out of 5,000 non-four lifetime, has won three of the last five. Patty O won a 5,000 non-three. Next out, 7-9 in leg two of the pick four sequence, which is race number three, and we'll make a win wager on the seven. Fourth race at Sam Houston, five furlongs on the turf, $20,000 claimers. I really like the four in here, Rosie Bear. Let's go race by race for Rosie Bear um, back since the layoff. So October the 26th, she hooks a horse named Bizarre Mischief, who's a 12-time winner who's won five in a row and who just beat optional 50s on January the 2nd at Turfway. 
on November the 10th over at Churchill Down. That's in a first-level allowance, like a really tough first-level allowance. The third-place finisher just ran third in a $75,000 stakes race at Fairgrounds. Then on November the 30th comes back, and Rosie Bear is behind a horse named Valiant Lady, who is an eight-time winner who had just won her second in a row. The third-place finisher that day, Hyden Street, won next out. On December the 21st was a close-up fifth in between horses in the two-path, two lengths off, was waiting for room, Moved down to the rail, nowhere to go when traveling best, has to wait, loses all the momentum, never got a shot, lost to a horse named Indibo, who's two for three. Now you go back to the grass, where she's better. Three or four career wins have been in five for a long turf sprint. You cut back, and you come back to Sam Houston. You know, you've won over this turf course going five furlongs. The number four, Rosie Bear, top selection in here. I do think if you're playing the pick four, this is probably a, a, a race where I'll be using a few. A lovely Charlie, I think, is one you have to use who's coming out of better at Delta Downs and could be really, really tough to run down in here. Back to the grass for lovely Charlie. I thought the three lay him out who comes in from Zia. She is really, really quick. Also, she might be one of the quickest in here, so uh, I don't want to leave her off the ticket because if, if she breaks and clears the field, she could be uh, tough to run down. The eight horse, it's Railroad Rosie, who was a winner last time out. And I like the outside draw with her speed. She can sit off a little bit if need be. The six Sugarlicious, if you're looking for a price play to include, I think this might be the one. I mean, it's really tough to to be too hard on her for just the one turf try. So maybe give her another shot in here on the grass, and I think she could hit the board at a price. So I have this race in the fourth, four one three eight six, and we'll play the four, Rosie Bear to win if we can get anything around 3-1 to one or so. Really like her in this spot. Fifth race. Closing out the early pick four sequence, uh, 5,000 non-winners of two on the year, seven furlongs the distance. I'm going to go to the five. I, I don't really have a strong opinion in here, so this is a race where I'm going to spread out a little bit more. I do like the five. Humor's Reward, who most recently broke on top, pressed just off, was three deep, was just outside, moved to the lead, and then tired. And I think his style will put him in a really nice spot. He should have every opportunity um, if he's sitting just off the pace when the, the speed stops. I think you want to use the four. Don't blame Dexter, who might be right on the lead, and if he cuts back and he's able to get the lead on the cutback, he should be really tough to run down. Two back who's been behind, behind a horse named Sophisticated Bling, who had won uh, his second of three consecutive victories. The six bankroll Ben will be using on the drop-in class. I just feel like this is a much better spot for him. I like that June race at Lone Star, and he's done very well at Sam Houston. I think the four, or, and then the um, the one Miller man from the rail just feels like a good fit at the level. I don't love the rail, but I do think he has enough tactical speed to kind of use it to get himself out of a bad spot if he has to. And then the 11. Stillwater R. Just seems like a really nice fit at this level. Back to Sam Houston. Hasn't raced since September. I really like the two-back race at Rotama. So we'll be, we'll be spreading out a little bit in here with the 5-11-4-6-1. Uh, Those are the plays for me. 5-11-4-6-1. 
and that's the order that I have in race number five. So let's go through the pick four that starts in race number two that I'm going to be playing at, uh, at Sam Houston. We'll play two different approaches. The first one's going to be 1-4 one, with 7-9 with all with 1-4-5-6-11. Then our second ticket is going to be 1-2-3-4-8 with 7-9 with 4 with 1-4-5-6-11. So that's the ticket where we single the uh, the four horse in race number four. No real opinion in race number six, so I just skipped over race six, but we do like the late pick four a little bit, so let's give you our late pick four ticket, which starts in race seven. It's a first level allowance, going a mile and a sixteenth on the turf course. I like the one woulda, coulda, did. I just think he's going to get a totally different trip today than the trips that we've been seeing from him recently because his last four races he drew post 9, post 9, post 9, and post 8. And he just has had, you know, tough, wider trips. Like on August the 20th, he was three deep into the turn and three deep in between horses, just never looked comfortable. He was facing, I think, a little bit too tough last time out also. It's a really good spot for him to save all the ground and just hope that he doesn't give up um, so many lengths going wide. I think you have to use the one woulda, coulda, did in your late pick four who should be able to save the ground and and make a nice late launch. The six-horse money trend looks like the one to beat. Uh, just kind of a pretty obvious horse in here, so not, not to get too creative to uh, to talk about why we like this one. You can see he's just been in good form. He has speed. He can stuff the pace. The Remington Park race two starts back behind last I knew. I actually really liked it seven and a half furlongs. And, and then the number two, Moorhawk. I'm looking back at the July 14th Lone Star race. I thought was really, really good against the Open First Level Allowance Company. Uh, I think just a repeat of that, something similar to that, makes Moorhawk really, really tough in here. So we'll use one, six, and two to kick things off at Sam Houston. First leg of the pick four sequence in race number eight. The two, I think, is really obvious. Taruka. I'm not trying to beat Taruka. The five, grade one, speed, Broberg. I think you can put a line through the field last uh, through the race last time. I went pretty quick, and he's just one of those type of horses who's really good if he's able to clear. He can sit off a little bit, but I think he's just best on the lead. I like the six boss of Bourbon Street who drew the rail, and I mean last time out, really no excuses. Drew the rail, kind of got shuffled and was in tight a little bit early, but didn't lose a ton of ground and was able to move right up nicely to second, was dead aim at the top of the lane and had no excuses. He's just better than that. And I think he's a little better with some distance. So the sixth boss of Bourbon Street will be on our tickets. We're going to use the two, five, and six in here, but we have them six, two, five in that order. Let's get to race number nine. Third leg of the pick four sequence. And we'll be using three in here, the three gray hope, logical. And we'll, we'll toss in a couple other prices. The... Number eight is our top selection, Poderoso Equus. This is a horse who can sit. I really like his running style. Go back and watch the Lone Star race where he sat. It wasn't a race that was a wet track on May the 12th. He has a nice kind of tactical running style where he can sit just off the pace that day. Uh, he can sit just off the pace, and that's what he did that day. I think he's, like, when you have that running style, you always give yourself a shot because it's you're in the mix. You're not too far out of it. You know, even if they're going slow up front, you don't have to make up that much ground. If they're going quick, you can get the jump on the closers. I think the running style will be huge 
for the number eight. We'll use the three. The four cookies are good in here also. And the eight, three, four, eight. We have an eight, three, four in that order in the ninth. And then to close things out, at Sam Houston in race number 10. I like the 10. First time on the grass. I'm just expecting major improvement for this filly who's bred well for the grass and will be stepping up into a maiden special weight. And I just do think the one's the horse to beat. Countenance. So I'm going to use 110, the one as the chalky horse to beat, and the 10 as the price play to try to spice things up a little bit. So the way we play this late pick forward, Sam Houston, it's going to be 126 with the 256 with the 348 with the 1 and the 10. So early pick four in the second, late pick four in the seventh at Sam Houston. Best of luck. I mean, we're going to be playing a lot of Sam Houston this year because they have good racing, turf course, and low takeout. That's what we want. We want the low takeout. Okay, a couple of your plays. We're doing uh, NBA Jam rules now. One thing I missed last year, I missed talking to you, all of you out there. One of my favorite things when I was on TVG and when I worked for Elite Racing Network, when I used to host a play-by-play sports uh, sports radio show at PCC, I love talking with all of you, interacting with all of you, finding out your thoughts, um, analysis on games, who you like in certain spots, um, what, you know, sports uh, topics are, are ones that are interesting to you at the moment. So, um, we asked everyone last week, if you post on social media, when I, I'll post and I'll ask if you have any plays on Facebook and on Twitter and respond to those posts with your plays for one of the next few days. If you give us a winner, then you give us a winner the next time you're heating up. If you give us a winner on the third show in a row, you are NBA Jam on fire. He's on fire, folks. And that means you can come on. We'll do a little co-host of a segment. You can come on. We'll Next time you have a couple plays, you can give out the plays on the show. We'll introduce you. We'll talk a little bit about you. And you'll get a, a few moments to come on. That's what G said. And, uh, and, and get your praise for giving us three winners in a row. We got to give a shout out to Doug Dwyer, who had a nice one last week. He had a, an $18 winner posted at Aqueduct. Well done, Doug. Doug is going to come right back this weekend. January the 17th, Aqueduct, race number four, big package. Good luck, Doug. Joe Killen, Joey Q, says Wichita State over Temple Wednesday night, ESPN projecting a Temple win. Joey Q likes Wichita State. Tom Pogue says Kansas over the Sooners, minus 6.5 tonight in, in basketball. And then Mark might be back later in the week, Mark Monagura, to talk with us for some NBA plays. Doug also, Dwyer, has a three-team NHL parlay tonight. Tampa Bay over 6.5, Buffalo plus 150, and Pittsburgh minus one. 80. Appreciate everyone checking in. So we're, we'll keep tabs on everyone. And if you give a winner, if you give two winners in a row and then you give three in a row, you're on fire. You come on over and you get to uh, host a, a segment with us here on That's What G Said. And over on Twitter, Mike D. Money says Friday, race one, Gulfstream Park, betting on a kitten from post five. And then Nick, Mr. Guru Nick says Wednesday, NBA. Toronto plus two and a half at OKC. That was Mr. Guru Nick. Congratulations there. Nick as a Mr. Guru Nick. Sharp, sharp handicapper. He was a co-winner of the bowl contest 
that uh, we did for the Mike Abadir show. So Mr. Guru Nick, well done. He had 31 straight-up bowl game winners, the 99th percentile in ESPN. Great job, Nick. Congrats on that. And we'll see if you can uh, get a couple winners. We'll have we'll have you on in uh, some time to talk about your handicapping and, uh, and what a sharp, sharp job you did in that bowl contest. So, Nick, thanks for your play. Appreciate everyone sending in your plays and... We'll be back in a few days with another episode of That's What G Said. Big thank you to Jason Beam for the interview. Don't forget Friday night, those Beamy Awards. If you can, subscribe, rate, review the podcast. It really helps us put money right back in my pocket. If you'd like to support the small businesses, do so. Because, like, you know, we for me, it's not about money. It's not even about the millions of clicks. It's about getting to do what I like to do on a day-to-day basis and getting to inform everyone out there. I know that some of you don't have the opportunity to watch sports all day, rewatch the games, spend hours handicapping the races. So I can try to help you kind of be the bridge, um, get some information out there for you, make sure that every time you're you're betting a, a race or a game or something, you at least have the right info. We're going to be wrong a lot with our opinions, with our predictions, but we always want to try to give you the, the correct information so that way you're the most prepared when you go to make your wagers, when you go to uh, make your you know fantasy football selections, your daily fantasy selections, when you just... When you go to watch sports or when you go to talk sports with people, we want to make sure that you're the most informed and you got the best info. So thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said.